reading all 58 verses this morning. What an amazing day. I want to welcome every single one of you to Big Woods, especially if this is your very first time. A warm welcome to you. We have a great day as we've already celebrated uh, baptism and in a few moments remember the Lord's Supper. But in between that, we have an opportunity for all of us to look into the word that God has given to us himself and Lord willing, learn from it in a way that our lives literally are transformed as a result of hearing the truth of the gospel this morning. That's my prayer. Would you uh, first and foremost, I know that Aaron just prayed, just um, uh, allow me uh, to lead us once more before the throne and just pray for God's help as we uh, listen to him this morning. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing time to lift our voices in praise to you and recognition of your goodness and your greatness and your grace. Father, as we examine now through the work of your Spirit, quiet our hearts to look deep within our own hearts and minds. Where all of us very quickly very quickly, if we're honest, would reveal areas of personal struggle and turmoil and heartache. And Father, I just pray that we would understand who you are in a new way today. And the victory that is found in Christ and Christ alone. Father, I just pray for help. Clarity of thought and mind, word and speech. And together we pray that everything would be for your glory and that we would hug and hold tight to the truth of the gospel. We ask this now in the strong and amazing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. From struggle to strength is the name of this series. All of us at some level live within the context of struggle. Even as little tiny ones when you were little, kids struggle with their parents when you're young. When you get old as parents, you struggle with your kids. You ever notice that? It's like it never really goes away. You struggle with the fact that you don't have any friends that like you and want to spend time with you. And then maybe you get a friend and that friend disappoints you at some level and you struggle with that. We live in the light of struggle. Don't like our job. So we change jobs and then we don't like our new job and it's just a struggle at one thing or another. We struggle with others and we actually can just struggle within ourselves as well. We have thoughts that are racing through our mind and like where they come from and we can't get them out. We struggle with our own habits and ideas and patterns. Last week we introduced this series in 1st and 2nd Samuel. I talked about it. it's, not, it's not a typical verse-by-verse approach, but it's, it's a high-level look at the life of one person. His name is David, who faced struggles. And last week we were introduced to this young shepherd boy who was what, a, a, a musician for the king... He became a soldier. He became king himself, author of dozens and dozens of psalms, and one who's actually in the line of Jesus when he was born in the city of David. 
But we learn as well that this whole story is, is not just about the story of David. It's really about the one who wrote the story of David. That's what this series is on. That behind what? Everything. Underneath everyone holding us up is a sovereign God. Who is moving pieces. What? Moving pieces to protect us and provide for us. To rescue us and redeem us. And thankfully, graciously, he allows us to learn along the journey. Last week we learned a lesson about what man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's an important part. A lot of our own struggle is the concern about what? Well, we're not being presented the way that we think. People, 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 remember this. It's, it's not about your, your body, okay? Sorry. Exercise all you want. It's not about your personal beauty. It's not even about your, your brains. The, the Lord is looking at and he's looking for your heart. Paul was preaching in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And he says what? The, the Lord says, I have found a man. I have found David, a man after God's own heart. What an amazing description. Would that be an incredible testimony? For you as a man sitting here today, or a woman that is sitting here, to be known as a person after God's own heart. Think about the amount of time just this past week you have spent on your own physical appearance or perhaps mental aptitude when you could have been focusing and investing into spiritual, into eternal matters of the heart. Lesson we learned from last week. Now we move on in this story, in this struggle, and we are introduced to arguably one of the most well-known texts in all of Scripture. The story in the struggle of David and Goliath. How many messages have you heard preached on the story of David and Goliath? How many Sunday school lessons and devotionals and sermon jams have we heard about this story? An epic battle of what this little tiny shepherd boy who defeats what? A giant, ever menacing soldier, Goliath. Now what I have found interesting is that we tend to read scripture and there's an overwhelming tendency for everything to be man-centered as opposed to scripture is, is to be read and understood as what? As God-centered. We hear man-centered messages about David and Goliath that you and I, what we can all defeat the giants in your life. You can defeat the, the giant of fear. And you can defeat the giant of doubt. You can defeat the darkness of depression or anger or lust. You can defeat the giant of pride or self-loathing or overeating or undereating or whatever it is. We can defeat this giant if, like David, who chose five smooth stones... You could choose the stone of the word of God or the stone of the local church or the stone of Sunday school. Wait a minute. I don't even know how, I don't know even how to do this politely. 
It's not, this is not, that is not what the story of David and Goliath is teaching us. It's not what this text is talking about. Why, there's an overwhelming tendency for us to think what? Man-centered, not God-centered. We are not intended to read this text, this account, and say, Wow, David is so amazing. And if I could play the harp like David, if I could train myself to use a slingshot like David, no, no, this story is not about how amazing David is. Rather, we are meant to see in this text. We are meant to read, as we will in a moment, and understand in this text, not how amazing David is, but how amazing and great and powerful and wonderful is the God whom David served is. And how great the deliverance that God brought about in young David's life. This text is talking about the fact that God is always the star of Scripture. David is not. Neither are you. Neither are you. The gospel is on display here. We'll pick up our text in verse 4. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. <clears throat> and we'll read down through verse 9. Here it is. <clears throat> and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion... Named Goliath of Gath. Whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs. And a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Two very simple points that I want to give to you this morning. The first one is this. There is an enemy... That is bigger than Goliath. There's an enemy that is bigger than Goliath. I know this may seem hard to understand. We have this what? This epic battle before us. We have a big, bad, and ugly antagonist. Creating conflict within the story. And we have the most unlikely of all protagonists. What? A true hero. That actually comes to the rescue. We love, we love, we love these stories. When the little guy beats on the bully. You ever, you ever, ever 
meet a bully before? What do, you, what do you do when you are confronted with a bully? I can still see his face to this day. His name was David, believe it or not. In fourth grade, he had one brown eye and he had one blue eye and he had a cracked tooth right in the front. Now, this bully was brutal in the sense that this will date us, I understand. Um, you have a, a, a smartphone in your hand, almost all of you. Before the days of a smartphone, there was a flip phone. But before the days of the flip phone, long ago, there was actually a flip comb for your hair. I know this is dating me, okay? Because what happens with the flip comb is that it was like half comb, half brush. Because you didn't know, you didn't know at what moment you were going to need either the comb or the brush. Okay? Now remember I had a green flip comb. And David in fourth grade, the bully, one brown eye, one blue eye, and a cracked tooth right in the middle, took my flip cone and he threw it over the schoolyard fence which just happened to be next to a cow pasture, and I am not lying to you, and my flip comb landed in the middle of a pile of cow dung. And I was confronted with a bully. What do you do? You roll up your sleeves? No, actually, you just go find the teacher. Right? That's what you do. Little ones who are being bullied today, go find your teacher. In this context, when the bully arrives on the scene, there is no teacher to be found. Therefore, what? It's hard to even imagine. It's hard to even imagine. Do you realize to translate this, a cubit, think about the tallest part of your finger until approximately your elbow, it's about 18 inches. Doing simple math, which I know I'm not great at, but I can figure it out. Goliath is standing about nine feet, nine inches tall with armor that weighed, get this, 125 pounds. The head of his spear alone weighed 17 pounds. He is standing, menacing. He is the classic picture of what? Of strength and defiance. Alan Redpath, in his book, The Making of a Man of God, describes him like this. His head, his shoulders, his chest, and his legs were all clothed in brass. He was just a scintillating mass of brass glittering in the Palestinian sun. You see, his appearance was meant to intimidate. His appearance was meant to frighten the Israelites. The Philistines are encamped on one hill. The Israelites are encamped on another hill. There's a valley between. And they're shouting back and forth for 40 days. The bully is taunting and teasing, and terrifying, and intimidating. Until finally, until finally there is one. There's only one 
who would go. He stepped up. He stepped out from the crowd. This young shepherd boy whose name was David was basically running an errand for his dad, taking food to his older brothers on the battlefront, looking around to see what was happening. What was all this fuss about? As little brother steps up, his older brothers are clearly just annoyed, let alone embarrassed. What are you doing, boy? You go back home where you belong. Iliab, the oldest brother, is especially ticked. It actually says in verse 28, what his anger was kindled against David, against his little brother. What are you doing here? You don't fight these kind of battles. And David said, no, 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 no. I'm not going anywhere. His willingness, his eagerness, his faithfulness actually reaches the ears of the king himself, King Saul. Saul summons David and David testifies as he's standing before King Saul. Yes, your majesty, it is true. I have killed a lion. Yes, sir, it is true. I have killed a bear. And yes, sir, it is true. I will kill that enemy too. As David stands before the taunting enemy, he clarifies and he makes a statement as we will read in just a moment. He says what? This victory, this battle is not mine. What's going on here is bigger than what you see. Bully against little one. And David says the battle belongs to the Lord. Now it's hard to imagine, I think, an enemy that is worse than this. An enemy that is bigger and uglier than Goliath. But there is one. Who, who, what could ever be bigger? There is an enemy like Goliath who actually taunts. There is an enemy that tempts. There is an enemy that can intimidate and strike fear, whose name is Satan. Whose aim, what, is to use both pain and pleasure to, 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 to lead us to a place of death. Revelation chapter 12 says what? That Satan is, our, is, is the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world, the accuser. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, what? That he is an adversary who prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. But you know what? I, I still think, there's no doubt that, that Satan, like Goliath, taunts. But taunts to what end? Taunts with What? We know that he is standing, he is standing before David and he yells out, what? He yells out and he threatens, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. In a sense, there's an enemy that's bigger than Goliath. There's an enemy that's bigger than Satan himself. And it is what? It is sin and death. Goliath is ta taunting towards death. Death is a curse. Death is the one enemy 
that lurks and looms every day over every single one of us. And people literally wake up in, in fear of death. In fear of death. And yet we know the truth of scripture is what? We know the cause of the curse. Romans chapter 6 in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. So we go all the way back to the very beginning. To the Garden of Eden. Ever since Adam and Eve chose to sin. What? All of the world. All of mankind since that very moment. Since that act. All of the world has been reeling from death. This week alone, wars and bloodshed in the news of diseases and sickness and pain and loss and loneliness and abandonment and separation, all are results of sin and death. For the wages of sin is death. But I am so thankful, and you need to be thankful this morning, that that verse doesn't end there. You'd be thankful that Romans chapter 6 verse 23 doesn't end with the wages of sin is death, but it continues on. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Enter, enter the hero. The only one who can step up. The only one who can step in. You see, if, if, if you go to after Adam and Eve sinned as a result of their sin as a curse, it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, what? And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your descendants and her descendants, and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. It is referred to... Is the pro-tevangelium. The pro-tevangelium. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is the first proclamation of the gospel. Just like David defeated Goliath. There is one and only one. Who comes in to defeat the worst enemy. Sin and death. Satan knows it. Satan heard and saw Jesus sacrificed on the cross. And he heard him cry out, it is finished. It's over. It's done with. Satan heard the words of the angel. What? That first Easter morning. He's not here, but he's risen. And Satan knows what's coming his way. And he just wants to wreak as much havoc as possible. And you know what? He taunts you. Just like Goliath taunted and tempted. You ever walk in the summertime along the edge of a swimming pool? And someone's like, I'm going to push you in. I'm going to push you in. And, and you know it happens. Kids at the swimming pool... And, and I remember times walking along and, and, and somebody pushed me in. What is your automatic reaction when you know what? That you've been pushed. You know you're going in. What, what are you doing? You're clawing. 
My personal world record is three. If I'm going in, I'm grabbing anyone that I can. I grabbed my sister's hair, my brother's shirt. We all went in. If I'm going to get wet, I'm going to take as many people with me as possible. Satan says what? He knows, he knows he's dead. And what is he doing? He wrecks your mind with lie after lie after lie after lie. And many people sitting here today are falling for it. Much of the world is falling for it. Thankfully, by God's grace, number two, there is a hero that is better than David. There's a hero that's better than David. Go back to the text with me. Um, verse 45, 1 Samuel chapter 17. We pick up the narrative at verse 45. <clears throat> then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and he struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. I, I write in my Bible and I encourage people to write in their Bible. That's why I don't like smartphones. But you can highlight. I want you to back up and I want you to go to verse 47. I want you to highlight you smart people with your smartphones are you dumb people with pencils and highlighters like me and underlying this phrase in verse 47? For the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. The battle, the struggles, all belong to the Lord's. An incredible story. We love, we love heroes. We love unsuspecting heroes. Young shepherd boy defeats a giant, but that's not all that this account is about. 
We're not to say how great David was. David was acting in faith. And we rejoice in that. And we celebrate that. David trusted in God's power. And we can be thankful for someone who demonstrates trust in God's power. But it's very consistent with the way that God works. God oftentimes uses weak little people for his good and for his glory. You know what that means? There's hope for us. There's hope for us. Your past, your struggles, your weaknesses, that's all that you hear and see. God delights in using little people for his glory. So we are meant to read this story and say what a great God David served and how great was the deliverance what is the, the lesson that, that is here? It's not the greatness of the people that God uses. We don't focus upon that. We don't dwell upon it. We focus on the greatness of our God who can achieve amazing things through people like us. But remove yourself as the star of the story. You're not the giant slayer. That's not what you're doing. There's only one giant slayer. There's only one hero. There's only one victor. There's only one head crusher. Romans chapter 8 verse 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. The greatest enemy that we could ever face. Our own flesh that succumbs to the tempting of a tormentor like Satan that leads us to sin and death. You see, the story of David and Goliath is more than, more than just us facing our giants. It's the story about the son of David who came and crushed the head of the enemy, Satan, who desires to lead us into sin and death. So I want you to pause right now. And I want you to examine your own life. On some of the struggles that you're facing. And that you have a strategy, many of us, in our own minds of how we're going to solve and we're going to correct and we're going to fix the struggles. When in all honesty, the majority of the struggles that I face in my own life are the result of my own sin. My doubt, or my fear, or pride, or lust, or anger. It's, it's a result about the fact that what? The struggles that I have, if it's not my own sin, then it's the sin of other people. Because your sin doesn't just stay with you. Your sin affects that one that you're married to, that one that you're living with, that one that you work alongside. So what do we do in this? first and foremost come to a realization that you can never and you will never defeat sin you will never become the victor over your own sin of pride or fear or worry you cannot defeat it and until you recognize that fact you will forever and ever and ever wallow in your own struggle but this morning I stand before you upon the authority of the word of God. And I tell you, until you go to him in full surrender, 
in full submission. I've been, I've been battling with this too long. This thing has beaten me up. Marriage is a wreck. Families in chaos. Can't stand anyone and everyone around me. And the struggle is eating. And there's the tormentor whispering what? You are such a loser. No, that's the time. This is the moment that we fall on our face before a holy God. And we go to the only one who we know can defeat sin and death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The whole chapter is about what? It focuses on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul himself says what? If Christ had not risen from the dead, then we're still in our sins and we are to be most pitied among everyone else. I am so glad. I am so glad that's not the end of the story. I am so glad that what on that Easter morning, he burst forth into everlasting life. And now he promises, he promises you die to self just as we saw visualized before us. You go in the tomb. You go under the water to say, I'm done. And I want to walk in the newness of life. I want to follow the victor, Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins, regardless of what you have done, offers forgiveness, and not only forgives your sin, but allows you to live as obedient followers, as faithful followers, as joy-filled followers of Jesus. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It says in Romans chapter 16, Hebrews chapter 2, Christ took on him, on human nature that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death. That is the devil. How did Jesus Christ ultimately defeat it? If Christ did not rise from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. I stand before you to remind you that whatever struggle, whatever struggle, whatever heartache, whatever hardship, whatever horror you're facing, you go before the only one who can defeat sin and death and has defeated it and offers life and life abundantly. We have, we have, again, just the privilege and opportunity to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. We, we are what? Very much like the disciples and that Jesus knew that the disciples would forget what he was talking about, what, what he was teaching. And so it says what? The very night that he was betrayed and arrested and he went through that mock trial and before he was crucified, Jesus sitting with those, with those um, um, not elders, they are disciples in the upper room. It says that he took bread. It was unleavened bread. And as a visual, he broke it in front of them. And as he broke it, they passed it around. And he said, eat this. This is a picture of my body. My body's going to be broken for you. And that's exactly what happened within hours. Jesus' body was shredded. As they ate that bread... And they tasted that and they ingested, they swallowed that. They were given a reminder that what we need today. 
that God loved us so much, he offered his own son to die. After they took bread, it says that they took the fruit of the vine, they took wine and they poured it out. Some people falsely believe that this turns literally into the blood of Jesus. No, this is just grape juice for us. I'm going to give you a sip of it. But it's a picture, it's a symbol. You see, when we taste something, when we see something, we remember it. Jesus said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Until I come again, I want you to do this and do this and do this. That's why we stop at least once a month. We eat the bread and we pass the cup around. We take a sip. This cup is a picture of the blood of Jesus that was poured out for you. You see, Jesus knew the struggles and the hardships of everyday life. Jesus knew that we could not, we could not have victory in and of ourselves. We're not capable, we're not worthy, we're not holy enough. So Jesus said, I'll step up, I'll step in, and I'll fight the enemy of sin and death. And today we have a celebration of commemoration before us, focusing on Jesus, the one who gave absolute and total ultimate victory. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the elders to come up at this time. And just so that you understand, if you're visiting here with us and this is your very first time at Big Woods, we welcome you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, which means that you have surrendered your life, you know that you're a sinner, you put your faith in Jesus' all-sufficient work on the cross, and you desire to be obedient and follow him every day as Lord of your life. Not that you're perfect, none of us are then this is for you. And I would ask and invite you to take the bread when it's passed and take the cup. But I want to be very polite here and I want to be very respectful. If, you've, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, like what is this? Like first they get wet and then they're drinking juice and like this guy is like totally, totally off. Then I would ask politely, refrain from taking this and come up and talk with me. Talk with any one of the elders or pastors. We can pray with you and pray for you that you would have a faith. Now, perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you know without a shadow of a doubt, kids know, kids know that they're sinners. If you understand the fact that you are a sinner and you know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, then in a moment of belief, Lord, forgive me of my sin and I accept you as my Savior and I desire to follow you as Lord and you mean that. Then please take of this cup and eat of this bread for the very first time and we welcome that and celebrate that. Gentlemen, if you would come up at this time just so you understand, we're going to serve you the bread first. We're going to ask blessings upon the bread and the cup and then they'll serve you the cup after we partake of that together, Mark's gospel says before they left the upper room, they sang a hymn together. We're going to sing one more song and then we are dismissed. Thank you.
Would you pray with me? Father, as we come into your presence, we are reminded of the reality of the battle, the spiritual battle that rages all around us. We know, Lord, that there is a very real enemy that taunts and leads us, desires to leave us, lead us to death. We know, Lord, that we are no match for the evil forces, but we thank you, Lord, that because of what Jesus accomplished and because of what we remember even at this moment, that the battle has been fought and won. Father, you can give us victory. Don't free us entirely from the strains and struggles of everyday life, but we know ultimately that our eternal life is secure in and through the work of Jesus, and we thank you for that. As a church, with our heads bowed before you, we thank you for the bread that is a picture of the body of Christ. We thank you for the cup that is a picture of the blood of Christ. We thank you for this reminder that is needed and necessary in our lives because we forget so easily. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the atoning work that was accomplished on the cross. And Lord, we rejoice in the risen Savior. Our hope, our trust, our faith, our focus is not on ourselves. It's not on the enemy, it's on you. The battle is yours. And we thank you for winning it. We ask that you bless this. Renew us with an understanding to live in light of the gospel of Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night, the very night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said this. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me.
thank you, my brothers, for serving us. It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. As the worship team comes to lead us and close us, I want to remind you we've had the privilege of witnessing a baptism. We've had the privilege of commemorating the Lord's table. If you have acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you.